Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, We are reading Mark's Gospel together, and this morning we're going to look at a longer passage that includes uh, a miracle, a confrontation, and a misunderstanding that leads to a lot of questions. And the thing that ties all three of these together uh, is, of all things, bread. Um, So let me read from the beginning of Mark 8 for us. Uh, It's printed in the order of worship, and you can follow along there in a Bible. Or you can just listen as I read from Mark 8. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would be happy to use this word um, that we have read and heard together to show us the grace of our elder brother, Jesus, the ascended Jesus, who sits at your right hand now, who is praying for all of us here this morning right now. Father, show us his grace and change us by it, and we ask it in his name. Amen. 
So let me uh, let me tell you something about myself. I subscribe to the uh, Chicago Tribune, and when I say that, um, I don't mean that I have ad-free access to the website for the Chicago Tribune. I mean that seven mornings a week, I get a physical copy of the paper thrown up onto my front porch. I, I read the paper, you know, literally, and I know that makes less and less sense in the world that we live in. But for all kinds of reasons, I think I'm going to do it um, as long as they keep printing it, as long as they'll keep delivering it, I'll keep doing it. I, I also know that that probably makes me seem really old to some of you, and I accept that. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't make me seem nearly as old as what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> One of the reasons that I really, really like getting the paper every day is so that I can do the jumble puzzle in it. Actually, I do both the jumble and the jumble crossword. In case you don't know uh, what I'm talking about, those are word puzzles. I started doing them about two years ago for reasons I can't really put my finger on, but I keep doing them now for a couple solid reasons. One, I'm convinced that they're really good for my brain. Um, and the second reason, which is really, I think, the most compelling reason for me, is that it feels nice to actually finish something completely. That's not something I get a lot in my life, and I am really surprised at how satisfying it is to just finish something. But there is a problem with this, and that is that whatever benefit I might get from doing these things is easily drained away, very easily drained away, because the answers to the jumble crossword are right there on the same page. They're just printed upside down. And sometimes, I'm not really proud of this, but sometimes when I'm stuck, I just look at the answers, <laughs> which is really lame, which takes away any of the goodness that my brain might be getting from this exercise, which definitely takes away the satisfaction that I might have of actually finishing something. Like pretty much everything else in life, it is way better if I struggle through it and if I figure it out on my own. And I think anyone who's here this morning who is a teacher would say this to us. The stuff that we learn when we work for it, the stuff that we learn when we really work for something, it becomes ours. It is a part of us. And that, that idea is at the heart of this story that we just read and heard together. After Jesus feeds the 4,000, by my count, he asks nine questions. Nine questions. One is directed to the people who confronted him. Eight are directed to those who are closest to him, to the disciples. And Jesus answers exactly none of them. He provides no answers. It's not because he's being coy. It is because he wants his friends, the disciples, and by extension, he wants you and me to think about stuff and to figure it out for ourselves. The story of Jesus' life is about ready to take a really sharp turn, and so he is pressing those who are closest to him to open their eyes and their ears and to work really hard to make something their own. 
And Jesus' last question is perhaps the most telling of them all. This is the last question he asks. Do you not yet understand? And it trails off into silence. So let's see together if we can't get at that thing that Jesus wants us to see and to hear and to understand. So Mark begins by telling us that these things happened in those days, which is his way of tying this story to all of the stories that we have looked at together over the last uh, four weeks. Now, we talked about this a bunch last week, but just as a reminder, Jesus at this point in the story is not in his homeland. He is outside of Galilee. He is roaming around for what seems to have been a really long time in Gentile pagan lands. Now, before he left on this trip, he had argued with his religious contemporaries, and he had argued with them about what makes people acceptable or unacceptable to God, the things that are clean and unclean, the things that you should touch or not touch. And they had argued about who it was okay to hang out with and walk with and sit with and eat with. That was in the first half of chapter 7. And to say that they had disagreed about these things would be to put it really mildly. So as soon as that argument finished, Jesus embodies his side of the argument. He puts flesh to it by getting up and leaving places that would have been considered and people who would have been considered by his contemporaries as clean and safe and acceptable and traveling into places and to people who would have been considered by his contemporaries as wildly unclean and unsafe and unacceptable. Jesus is eviscerating. He is transcending these long-standing racial and religious and cultural barriers. And it's his way of saying, I am not just for my sisters and brothers by blood. I am for the whole world. So he goes, and not surprisingly, the same thing that happened to Jesus in Galilee happens to him when he is outside of Galilee. Great crowds start to gather around him. He's compelling to people. They want to see him. They want to hear him. They want to touch him. They want to try to figure out what it is that he is all about. And this crowd in particular seems really taken with Jesus because they have been following him around for three days in really desolate places. And now the food has run out. Nobody planned for this, but here they are in that place. So Jesus calls the disciples to him and he says, listen, I have compassion on this crowd. They don't have anything to eat. And if I send them home, they may faint along the way. Now, if this setup sounds really familiar to you, believe me, you are on to something. The week right after Easter, um, Pastor Dan walked us through the feeding of the 5,000 back in chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel. And these two stories are incredibly similar, and that is part of the point that Mark is making behind the scenes. It is really, really important to know that Jesus has just done something like this. It is really, really important to know that the disciples were in the center of the action when Jesus did something just like this. We are supposed to remember that this is a mirror image of something that happened 
and we're supposed to think about it when we hear what the disciples ask Jesus. How can one feed all of these people here in this desolate place? I mean, it's almost astonishing how weird that question is. You know, because we would think to ourselves, what do you, you know, what do you mean, how can one feed all of these people? We think what they should say is, well, Jesus, just do that one thing you did again. It was amazing. We'll hand out all of the food just like we did before. I cannot wait to see all of their faces when you do this. It was amazing. But instead, it's like they're sleepwalking, stumbling nonsensically through the motions. And so I think this is a good moment for us to stop and remember that these guys are not dopes and they are not clowns. They're grown-ups. <laughs> Some of them had families that they took care of. They all had steady jobs before Jesus asked them to leave those jobs and follow him. These guys wrote some of them wrote books that billions of people have read. <laughs> they had all of their faculties. It's easy for us to see the irony of this moment now at a distance, but they could not see it then. And that is the point. And part of what this story is doing for you and me is inviting us to find our place in it. How many times in your life have you looked back on something that you said or something that you did? I mean, something maybe that you said for years or did for years, and you look back on it now and you think, what in the world was I thinking? I don't know about you, but I do that all of the time. I think, how could I have been so blind? How could I have missed this? How could I have missed that? How could I have not thought about this other thing that would have saved me and all of the people around me that I love, so much shame or embarrassment or anger or sadness or confusion or whatever it cost. That is what these stories are all about. And it is all laser focused on one question. When we hear this, it's not about us thinking about investments that we made that we regret or the place we chose to go to school, or that bad dating choice we made, or the job that we wish we wouldn't have taken. I mean, all those things are important, but they are secondary to the one thing that Mark wants us to be thinking about when we hear this story. And that is this, who is Jesus? Who is he really? And does he have anything to do with my life? Does his life matter to my life? And I know we're all coming at that question from different places this morning. Some of us are here and maybe we're considering faith for the very first time. And there's others of us here who maybe have walked away from the faith and we're not even sure where we are right now. And then there's other of us, others of us here this morning who are Christians, and maybe we have been for a while, but we're wondering if we're really going to let the demands of following Jesus invade our lives and inform the way that we're living those lives and building our little kingdoms. We're asking ourselves, am I going to let him change me? 
And then there's others of us here this morning who are new to the faith or we have newly come back to the faith and we're just wondering about the very basics of what it means to follow Jesus and be a Christian. Well, no matter who we are, no matter where we are in faith or outside of faith, the question of Jesus' identity is the linchpin to answering all of those questions that are swirling around in our heads. That is what these stories are about. They're about stopping for a minute or two or ten and asking in the best way possible, what in the world am I doing? Does any of what I'm doing make sense given who Jesus is? Do I need to believe something or do something differently? And church, we've all got to work that out for ourselves. We have got to make the answers to those questions ours. We have to make them part of us. So back to the story. Of course, Jesus is not going to let his friends' misapprehensions and misunderstandings keep him from showing compassion. (laughs) And that is really good news for all of us in here. So he takes seven loaves of bread and a few small fish, and he feeds the crowd. And Mark says they ate, and they were satisfied. And when they gathered everything up, there were seven baskets full left over. And Jesus sends everyone home, and then he and the disciples get into the boat, and they go to this place called Dalmanutha. Now, Dalmanutha has the distinction of being a a place that is only mentioned here in all of ancient literature. Only Mark mentions it, so no one really knows where it is, other than to know that it is back in Jewish territory. And we know it's back in Jewish territory, because once Jesus gets there, he gets into an argument with a group of Pharisees. Now remember, the last time Jesus has been with any of these guys has been during that watershed argument about who's clean and who's not clean. And they're obviously still really distressed about it. You get the impression that they have been stewing about it the whole time Jesus has been away because Mark says they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now, of course, there is irony here, you know, because what Jesus did is a pretty big sign. What he has just come from doing, pretty big sign. Now, we don't know if they know about that, but we do know that they have certainly seen Jesus do all kinds of other great things, including the feeding of that larger crowd. They were there. They were around for that. They heard about that. So they're not disputing that those things have happened. What they're disputing is the source or the origin of Jesus' ability to do them. It is the ultimate question, who is he? It is all about Jesus' identity. Now, I don't know what they could have seen that would have satisfied them, but it's clear that Jesus is not entering into whatever game it is that they're playing. His response is deeply emotional, deeply moving. And it's where all of the incisive questions begin to be asked. Mark says that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. You can almost hear this groan of anguish. And he says, why does this generation seek a sign? 
And then he says, truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. It is the ultimate, you have to work it out on your own. You have got to answer this question for yourself. Don't be a sleepwalker blind anymore. And as soon as the argument starts, it is over. Jesus and the disciples get back into a boat, and Mark says they start heading over to the other side. And this is when Mark tells us that the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that somebody had stashed away somewhere. It's an odd detail to begin this part of the story with, but of course it becomes really important. Jesus is there in the boat and he's still kind of coming down from this argument that he has had with the Pharisees. And this is what he says to his friends. He says, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven of Herod. Now we should talk about what Jesus means for just a minute. Leaven was used a lot in the ancient world as a metaphor for slowly growing corruption. There's even a couple of other places in the New Testament where it's used like that, and I think it's a pretty easy to understand, a pretty clear image, because a small amount of leaven is all that a lump of dough needs. It's just a small amount of leaven takes it over slowly and makes it rise. The idea is that it is small, maybe, but it is incredibly powerful. And there's almost nothing to stop it once it gets in. So this is what Jesus is saying to his friends. He's saying, watch out and be sure that you don't let any of the stuff that the Pharisees are saying get into your head and into the way that you think and into the way that you live in this world. He's telling them to be on guard against even the smallest influence from those circles. And he's saying that because the kingdom of God that he has come come to announce and the kingdom of God that he has come to embody are at every fundamental point opposed to the kingdom that his religious contemporaries are building. Where theirs is built on the consolidation of their own power for themselves, his is predicated on giving up power for the good of others. Where they obsess over people that they think are unclean and things that they think are unclean, Jesus is literally sitting down and breaking bread with the unclean. Where they are fixated on external rules and external appearances, Jesus is saying that the thing that matters most for a human being is the heart. And while they are prepared to kill to protect their agenda... Jesus' agenda is to be killed for the good of his enemies. These are wholly incompatible visions for the kingdom of God. They are mutually exclusive visions, in fact. And Jesus wants his friends to see that clearly and to understand that fully. But church, there are some things that you just have to work out for yourself. You have to work for it in order for it to be a part of you. The teacher cannot just give you the answer. So the disciples begin to try to work it out. And honestly, it's one of the most absurd moments in Mark's gospel. (laughs) 
you know, they're, they're staring at Jesus kind of Homer Simpson-like. And they're hearing him talk about the leaven of the Pharisees. And they think to themselves, oh, this is about us not having bread in the boat. <laughs> Who was supposed to pack the bread? Why did you forget to pack the bread? And so the teacher does not give them any answers. He just starts asking questions. And I, I got to wonder what his face was like. Um, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? You know, that opening question is like Jesus letting them know you guys aren't even in the game right now. And then the hard and beautiful questions. Do you not yet perceive and understand? Are your hearts hardened, having eyes? Do you not see, having ears? Do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I fed the 5,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they say to him, 12. And when I fed the 4,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? And they say to him, 7. And then comes that final question, that gracious invitation to stop for a moment and think, what in the world am I doing? <laughs> he says, do you not yet understand? This is all about who Jesus really is. And he wants the sleepwalkers to wake up. Because if they can get at the mystery of who he really is, then their eyes can start to really see everything. And their ears can start to really hear everything. They can see and they can hear that true story of the world. And they'll see where Jesus fits into it. And then they'll see where they fit into it. And it will be beautiful to them. And once that falls into place, a lot of other things in their lives will too. And church, listen, the same thing has always been true. And it will always be true for you and me too. Now, we know who Mark thinks Jesus is. We know all about what Mark thinks about Jesus' identity, and we know it because he said it, and we read it together in the very first line of the gospel. He says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. <laughs> now, no one else in this story has that information to begin with, but now, now, Jesus thinks that his friends have enough to come to their own conclusions. But they have got to work it out on their own. We have got to work it out on our own. We could keep trying to co-opt Jesus into our own little kingdom that we're building, or we could, you know, get angry and reject him when he doesn't fit, unsurprisingly, into our own little kingdom that we're building. We could do that. That's what his religious contemporaries were doing. And honestly, that's what we do, even though we're, we're way more sophisticated in the way that we talk about it. Or we could stop. And we could hear these questions and begin to ask our own, what, what in the world am I doing? And does it make any sense, given who Jesus is? Who is he 
really? And does his life matter for my life? We have got to work that out on our own. We have got to answer those questions for ourselves and make them a part of us. Let me pray. Father, it's not often that Jesus just asks a question and it's the end. (laughs) And so, Father, we ask that you would make us comfortable with that, as comfortable as we could be, to just be asked a question and to be able to sit with those questions and to not let anything else distract us, to not let anything else pull our attention away or our care away. Help us to sit with those questions. Help us to believe that they are really important, that they are everything for us. And Father, we ask, I ask for all of us as a people, every one of us in here, that you would give us the courage and the faith to see and to hear and to believe about who Jesus is. That this Jesus that is asking questions of his friends will become the Jesus who is the ascended king of the whole world who sits at your right hand right now who is praying for us give us the eye of faith to see and the ear of faith to hear that song help us to believe and we pray this in Christ's name Amen